0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Jacob and his twin brother Esau kicked so hard in the wound that their mother Rebecca despaired. Would her boys ever stop fighting? Join us for the message, Sowing Discord, Sowing Hope. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, Jacob... And his twin brother Esau kicked so hard in the womb that their mother Rebecca despaired. Would her boys ever stop fighting? We'll talk about that a little bit later on with our message Sowing Discord, Sowing Hope. Jacob is one of my favorite characters in the Bible, but not because he's particularly admirable. He is a conniving con man who is not always a good son, or a good husband, or a good father. Conflict seems to follow him wherever he goes. Now make no mistake, Jacob is very intelligent, but he uses his intelligence to take advantage of others. If Jacob had been a student at Hogwarts School of witchcraft and wizardry, he would have been put into Slytherin House. Now, despite all this, Jacob is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he is one of the most psychologically complex characters in the Bible. He's the kind of man that Henry David Thoreau was thinking about when he wrote, The Mass of Men Lead Lives of Quiet Desperation. Now, Jacob may have been the boy who liked to stay around the tents of home, but he had a restless mind. And therefore, he seldom experienced peace of mind. Of all the characters of the Bible, I think Jacob is the most modern. And in a way, I think he's the most American of all. And we'll explore that in our sermon series. Because this next three weeks, we're going to be exploring the life of Jacob. But if we explore the life of Jacob, then by necessity... We're going to be having you to talk about his twin brother Esau as well, for Jacob will never be able to truly separate himself from his brother. But as we shall also see Jacob, or excuse me, Esau ends up being far more complex than is apparent here at the beginning of the story.
1: Scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 28. Listen now for the word of God. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years when he married Rebekah. The children, oh, sorry. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. First came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel and so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebecca loved Jacob.
0: As Kathy just read there, Our scripture reading sets up these two brothers as near total opposites. Esau is big and red and hairy. He loves to disappear and go off into the wilderness to go hunting. He is impulsive, not particularly articulate. He's a man of action, not contemplation. Jacob, on the other hand, was, well, he was a homebody. He was a man who may have appeared quiet but was always thinking and scheming about his next move. And he was very conscious of the fact that he was born second in a society that favored the firstborn with a birthright. Now, the birthright entitled the firstborn son to double share of the father's inheritance. And Jacob seemed to be aware of this even in the womb as he tried to grab hold of Esau's heel in a vain attempt to keep him from being born first. In fact, the name Jacob actually means he takes by the heel or he supplants. Now, for Rebecca, their mother, it was was a difficult pregnancy, to say the least. After years of infertility, she had finally become pregnant, but the two twins struggled with each other from the very beginning. Now, the New Revised Standard Version says that they, quote, struggled together within her. But there are other translations that are much more direct. They pressed, they clashed, they smashed, they crushed one another. Rebecca's turmoil was so great that she was in despair. So she went to an oracle to inquire of the Lord and she was told, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. So within her was Jacob, the heir of promise made to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. But also within her was Esau, who had become the father of the Edomites. And the Edomites were a nation that lived just south of the Dead Sea. And throughout their history, they very often clashed with the Israelites.
1: Our second scripture continues in Genesis 25. Verses 29 through 34. Once when Jacob was cooking his stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff. I'm famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright.
0: Well, one day after they had grown into men, Esau came in from that field famished with hunger. He asked Jacob for some of that red stuff that he was cooking. Jacob seized the opportunity to finagle Esau's birthright to the double inheritance. Esau was impulsive and thoughtless. Jacob was conniving and ruthless. And neither one of them gave very much thought to the consequences, the long-term consequences of their actions. And neither one of them could anticipate how their conflict would ultimately tear the fabric of their family apart. But before talking more about Esau and Jacob, I want to turn to a gospel text.
1: Our final scripture reading comes from Matthew 19, 13, 1-9, through 18-23. through That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell in good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in Matthew
0: we find Jesus there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with the crowds just pressing in on him. So he gets in a boat, goes out a little way, and begins to teach them in parables. And this first parable is one of the most famous parables that we find in the Gospels. So, a farmer goes out to sow some seeds. And some seeds fall along the path, some fall in rocky soil, some are choked out by weeds, and some fall in good soil, yielding even up to a hundredfold. And later on, Jesus explained his parable to his disciples in private. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart, This is what was sown on the path. For what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root and endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, this person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. But... For what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, one of the most common ways that we often approach this parable is to ask ourselves, what kind of soil are we? Are we the kind of hard-packed dirt in which the word of God doesn't have a chance of penetrating? Well, chances are that since you're sitting today in a church or you're listening online or worshiping with us online, then you're probably not in that first category. You have responded to the word and you're making an attempt to understand that word better. But we could be one of those that first hear the word and respond with joy, but as soon as the going gets tough, we fall away. Oh, maybe we were never able to get into a regular pattern of spiritual nurture through worship or study or prayer or service. Maybe we ran into some unexpected difficulties for which we were unprepared. Maybe just being a Christian got too hard. Regardless, our new turn in life didn't last long, and before you know it, we were back in our old way of life. On the other hand, maybe we did respond and we did stick around. We didn't fall away as soon as we met with resistance. We became dedicated church members involved in a variety of activities. But despite being regular church fixtures, we never really became spiritually mature. While we became ever more busy church members, we also pursued things, other things in our lives. And these things not only took up our time, but also became the true objects of our hearts and of our desires. These other things could be any one of a number of pursuits. It could be money or career or hobbies or romance, even family and even church work itself. It could be anything that prevents us from keeping God at the center of our lives. Well, hopefully God has found in us good soil, and we've not only heard the word of God, but we have responded with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Our work, our families, our relationships, our church are still vital and important to us, but they do not crowd out our primary devotion to God. Our love of God above all else puts these other loves into proper perspective. And then our lives become fruitful and abundant in the life of the kingdom of God. The truth of the matter, however, is that all of us contain varying amounts of all four types of soil within us. Even if we've been faithful, lifelong Christians, there are still parts of our lives where the Word of God has never penetrated. Dark paths of our hearts that we shield from the light of Christ. This is where our favorite sins and our deepest shame lurk. It's that little part of hell that we still carry around with us. These hardened paths are often the places in our lives where we have endured the most pain, where we've been the most wounded. There have been times in lives where, in our lives when we have not tended our souls, and like the rocky soil we become shallow and superficial in our faith. There have been times when it just got too hard and we fell away and our roots in the faith never quite taking hold. And there have been times when work or family or some other desire of our lives has become more important to us than our walk with God. And these concerns have choked off our spiritual lives and choked off our desire for God. And then... There have been parts of our lives where God's grace has managed to penetrate through to our souls, and in those areas we've become mature Christians doing the work of God and for the kingdom, and here we have let God clear the fields of our lives and prepare the soil of our souls so that God's word could take hold and flourish. We need to remember, however, that this parable is known as the parable of the sower, not the parable of the soils. Because ultimately, this parable is about the master gardener. So what does this parable tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God spreads the seeds of love with extravagant abandon. The sower lets the seed fall into any type of soil. Grace is just scattershot throughout the universe. And God's love and grace are in such abundance that they can be flung far and wide and even wasted on the likes of us. Even if the birds carry the seed away, the seed can still come back and fertilize the land because even scorched seeds can become part of the fertility of the soil. And sometimes even thorns can be good crops in disguise. And we're not always very good at telling the difference. And just as God has spread the word far and wide, so must we. We'll never know ahead of time where God's word will sprout. There are seeds that we will plant for which we will never know this side of heaven, whether they ever took root. But God will know. And someday when God shows us everything, We will see how the words that we said and the deeds we did either helped or hindered the growth of the seed in others. Several years ago, the youth pastor of my former church was given a new appointment. And looking back at his eight-year ministry, he wondered if he had actually managed to make any real difference in the life of his youth. And I assured him that he most certainly had. The seeds he had planted in those young people would echo into the future in ways that he might never know about. But I was sure that they were going to yield at least a hundredfold. So how does all this relate then to the story of Jacob and Esau? Both of these brothers have a lot of hard, rocky, thorny soil inside of them. Yet God sees the good soil that's there and as we shall see God works that good soil until it yields a crop and if God can work through a person as flawed and as sinful as Jacob then God can work through any of us but make no mistake the conflict between Jacob and his brother will sow seeds of discord in this family that will last for generations but if we truly believe that God works all things together for good then we can have faith that God can work even through family conflict, even through church conflict, even if that conflict seems rather hopeless at the time. Two brothers struggled in the womb. We know that struggle, conflict, and suffering are an inevitable part of life, but struggle and conflict and suffering are also absolutely necessary for us to grow spiritually. Because think about it, has there ever been a time in your life when you've grown in a significant way that did not involve struggle, conflict, or suffering? Struggle, conflict, and suffering can sow seeds of discord, but they can also sow seeds of growth. They can sow seeds of hope. In the end, we can let struggle, conflict, and suffering either destroy us or create us. We can close off our hard-packed hearts so that no seed will ever be able to penetrate us. We can keep our faith in the rocks on a superficial level. We can let our hurts and our wounds like thorns choke off any real growth. Or we can let God use the hard reality of our struggles, our conflicts, and our suffering to till the good soil and create within us new life. We can sow seeds of discord, or we can sow seeds of hope. Let anyone with ears to hear, listen. Amen. And now receive this benediction. May God's word grow deeply in the soil of your hearts, and may you reap abundantly in this life and the next. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we continue our sermon series on the biblical character of Jacob with the message, Stairway to Heaven. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, You can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, TUMCD.org. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.